Hi, everybody. Grab a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 2. Luke 2 is where we're going to be for the next few minutes together. You know, what is it about Christmas that people love so much? Why is it that people start decorating as soon as the temperature drops below 60? Why do we look forward to this season? Well, it's fitting that Christmas occurs during the winter season, where it's far more dark, because life tends to be dark at times, and and the Christmas season becomes so very special to so many people, because it's a season of hope. Right in the midst of all the darkness, there's something good, there's something to look forward to. My favorite Christmas carol is, O Holy Night. Its classic line is, a thrill of hope. At Christmas, hope comes, crashing into the darkness. That's what our text is about tonight in Luke 2. In the opening verses here, Jesus has just been born. The event that happens immediately following his birth in Bethlehem is this one in the fields just outside the city. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You ever been blindsided by something? You get some news, you just weren't expecting it. Well, that's what happens to these shepherds. They're sitting out in this field that night, and imagine the scene. They are immersed in total darkness. There are no city lights. There's no street lights. There's no iPhone screens lighting up their faces. All they have is the light of the stars and the moon, probably a fire next to them to warm up the chilly night. And in the midst of that darkness, light breaks through. And that first Christmas night is characterized by a couple of different things. First, what we could call unexpected revelation. When these men clocked in that night for their overnight shift, This was the last thing they expected to happen to them. They were shepherds. They had no business whatsoever expecting any message like this. You see, shepherds in the ancient world were considered the lowest class. In fact, the only people in their society that was viewed as lower than them were people with leprosy. You have to be pretty bad for lepers to be the only people worse than you. Shepherds were considered religiously unclean. Their job responsibilities kept them out of the temple, away from all the ritual cleansings that good religious people took part in. 
Shepherding was an unwanted job, a dirty job. Therefore, shepherds were considered dirty and unwanted people. But when God opens the heavens and bursts forth into the world, he doesn't do so to the emperor. He doesn't do it to the kings or to high society. He comes to low, dirty outcasts, which is fitting, considering that's who Jesus came to save anyway. In verse 15, the, the angel choir goes back into heaven. The sky darkens back up. And they make their plan to go into Bethlehem. We want to see with our eyes what we've just heard. Notice how they phrase it. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So this incredible announcement, this famous Christmas announcement of who Jesus is and what he's come to do, it was not imagined. It wasn't fabricated. They didn't dream it. It was revealed. God himself has spoken and revealed to them. God stoops low to the lowest to reveal to them the identity of his son. This revelation they have is very personal. Verse 10, I bring you good news of great joy. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day. Verse 12, this will be a sign for you. So th this good news of great joy was for them. It's good news. It's the same word used all the way throughout the New Testament for the word gospel. The good news of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. That message is for you. For you, the outcast. For you, the lowly. For you, the unimportant. For you, the seemingly invisible. For you, filled with regret. For you, overwhelmed by sorrow. For you, overcome by pain. For you, the sinner. This thrill of hope wasn't for the deserving or the worthy or the powerful. It's for you. Again, Jesus wasn't born in the imperial palace in Rome. He wasn't born in the temple in Jerusalem. He was born to a humble couple who lived in poverty, placed in a food trough in a small town in the backwoods of nowhere. And the first to be told about it from God himself are low, dirty, despised shepherds. God is trying to tell you something. Jesus came for them. He came for you. This, this revelation from God is personal. It's also quite hopeful. He tells them about the identity of Jesus. You know, the dependability of a message is dependent on the messenger. Well, this revelation comes from God himself. Again, it's not fabricated. It's not imagined. It's revealed by heaven. Jesus, verse 10, is a savior who is Christ the Lord. Three separate titles are given for Jesus in one breath, and this is the only place in the entire Bible where all three titles are in the same sentence. Jesus is savior. You know what that means? You know what that implies? You need saving. That's what that means. He's a savior. Because we need saving, because of your sin, you stand before God condemned. And God could write you off. God could dismiss you. God could judge you. God could pour out his wrath on you. But instead, he sent a savior for you. John 3, for God so loved the world. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He is Savior. Secondly, he says Jesus is Christ. Now, remember, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's not Joseph and Mary Christ and their baby Jesus. It's his title. Christ is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah. He's the promised one, the anointed one who had been foretold through centuries in the Old Testament. Jesus is the heel that will crush the serpent's head from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Jesus is the greater prophet that's promised by Moses in Deuteronomy 18. Jesus is the greater son of David who's going to rule for all eternity from 2 Samuel chapter 7. Jesus is the suffering servant who will take on himself the punishment for our sins from Isaiah 53. Jesus is the eternal king over the eternal kingdom from Daniel chapter 7. He is the Christ, the son of the living God, the one in whom we find salvation. And lastly, Jesus is Lord. That title is reserved throughout the entire Old Testament for only one person, for God himself. No one else gets that title. In fact, we've already heard the shepherds use it to refer to God the Father, chapter 2, verse 15, which the Lord has made known to us. So who then is this Jesus? He is Lord. Same word. So not only is Jesus our Savior, not only is Jesus the promised ruler, he is God in the flesh. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, that's quoting from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. God has shown up. And the shepherds, rightly, verse 9, are filled with great fear. Great is the Greek word mega, and fear is phobos, where we get phobia. So these shepherds are filled with megaphobia at this moment out in the field. How could they not be? How could you not be? I mean, you're a sinner who's rebelled against the ruler of the universe. You're a sinner that's offended a holy God. You're a sinner that's violated the laws of the judge of all creation. And when sitting in the darkness and heaven's glory-filled light shines a spotlight on you, you'd be filled with megaphobia too. But notice the angel's message to them, verse 10. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. So instead of being filled with mega fear, they're filled with mega joy. How is that possible? Because this is good news. Because of the gospel. Because of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. He's your savior. He forgives your sin. He, he cleanses the dirty. He declares lawbreakers to be righteous in God's eyes. Once the multitude of angels join in the celebration, look at what they say, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. The work of Jesus brings peace with God. 
That's the peace he's talking about. It's not world peace. We're not at a Miss America pageant. It's peace with God to those with whom God is pleased. Now, scholars debate about that last phrase, that with whom he's pleased. How, how do they best translate that phrase? So some translations say, on whom his favor rests. Others, like this one, whom he is pleased. Well, it comes down to how you decide to translate one word. It's the Greek word eudikeo. Eu, E-U, is the prefix that means good. We've talked about that around here at, at Broadway before. When someone stands up at a funeral and gives a eulogy, they're saying you logos, good words about the person who's passed away. So it's you, good, and the verb dakeo that means to think. So God thinks good thoughts. So those who accept the saving work of Jesus have peace with God, and God thinks good thoughts about them. Isn't that great? Isn't that good to know? What does God think of you right now? Well, if you're in Christ, he thinks good things about you. The famous Christian author, A.W. Tozer, in one of his more well-known books called The Knowledge of the Holy, wrote this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So how you view God is the most important thing about you. But according to Luke chapter 2, verse 14, maybe, maybe what is most important about you is not what you think about God. Maybe what's most important about you is what God thinks when he thinks about you. For those who have placed their trust in this Savior, when God thinks of you, he thinks only good things. All of that is certainly unexpected for these shepherds. When those shepherds woke up that day, they could not have imagined that all of this was true. Maybe when you woke up this morning, there was no way you could have imagined that something so great could actually be true. Well, how did they respond? You see, you can't hear this thrill of hope like they did and just sit there. So number two, unrivaled response. The shepherds didn't just sit there. They, they got moving. And between their response and Mary's response, we find out how we ought to respond. First, we ponder. You know, they don't dismiss this incredible message. They don't ignore the fact that the creator of the universe, God in the flesh, is lying in a manger a few miles away. They don't shrug their shoulders at that. They don't look at the Christmas message with detached sentiment and say nonsense about how, how the music and the lights make them feel pretty cool. Like, oh, that's sweet. That's got me in the feels. Well, good for you. They absorb the Christmas message into their soul. They believe that it's true because God revealed it to them. And then they go searching to make sure that it's true. Verse 16, they went with haste, found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. The truth and the trustworthiness of the message was confirmed. They didn't let it sit. They searched. They knew they needed saving. They found their Savior. Mary ponders too. The shepherds tell them everything that happened in the field. Verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. 
A word for ponder means deep thought, deep reflection. So like the shepherds, she doesn't ignore the message. She doesn't respond by saying, oh, how sweet, isn't that nice? You know, bless his little heart. She pulled that message into her own heart and wrestled with it. Is that true? Because if it is, it's going to make a world of difference. The arrival of Jesus on earth cannot be ignored. It cannot be turned into mere sentiment. It has to absorb into the heart, and it will transform. We ponder, secondly, we praise, verse 20. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You know, once all this was finished, you know, this is an interesting little account in Luke 2, and uh, you read the passage, and then you move on, and we don't hear from these guys ever again. We have no idea historically what happened to them. What we do know is once everything's finished, they, God shows up, an angelic choir out in the middle of a field, that's, that's not a normal Tuesday. This is an amazing event. They go check it out. They see Jesus, and they hang out there for a while, and then they, they go right back. When it's all finished, they don't get on a boat and travel around the world as missionaries. They didn't go into the temple in Jerusalem and say, hey, we just saw Jesus. You should give us a religious job of some kind. You guys are going to start some churches in the not-too-distant future. Can we do that? They went right back into the fields. The same ones they had left. They went back to the same job. They went back to the same lives. Nothing had changed. And at the same time, absolutely everything had changed because they had changed. When they went back to the field that night, they weren't mere shepherds anymore. They were worshipers. They had believed God's revelation about Jesus and they had embraced him as their savior. When you see who Jesus is and when you see what Jesus has done, the only right response is to praise him for who he is and for what he's done. To praise him for the love that we've received. To praise him for the forgiveness that he's given. To praise him for the mercy that he offers. To praise him for the grace that now defines us. We deserve none of that. So we praise him. Oh, holy night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angels' voices. O night divine, O night when Christ was born. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy, in grateful chorus raise we. With all within, let us praise his holy name. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are 
overwhelmed the truth of Christmas. Thank you for the opportunity to gather tonight and be reminded of what is true. To be reminded that of all the things that we are participating in over this weekend, all the the family gatherings, all the food, all the fun we're going to have together, all the gifts we're going to open and give to others, and the laughter and the delight that we're going to have for the next little bit. Thank you that as we get to embrace and experience all those wonderful things, above all of that is this, this thrill of hope that because of Jesus, a weary world can rejoice because God has come to the earth. Jesus has been born And because of his entrance into the world, everything has changed. It's been verified as true. So we turn to you and embrace it. And we pull that truth into the heart and we ponder it. And because it's true, we praise Jesus for it. So thank you for the reminder not just of Christmas, but for the reminder of exactly what it is Jesus has come to do. As we do every week here at this church, we do so tonight as well. We pause to remind ourselves that the story doesn't end with shepherds in a field and Jesus in a barn. We remind ourselves that Jesus grew up and lived perfectly, sinlessly, and righteously and went to the cross on our behalf to take our sin onto himself so that it could be forgiven, so that he could take the penalty that we owe so that we could live forever, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have a relationship with the God who made us. So thank you for Jesus, for who he is, and for what he's done. And we take a little piece of bread and a cup of juice, and with them we remember the work of Jesus that began at Christmas. Thank you for him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.